Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 32 of the Build My Online podcast. I am your host, Terry. And this week, I have James Shremko from Superfast Business uh, on the show. And he also has four other podcasts that you guys should check out. Uh, one is called Freedom Motion, Internet Marketing Speed, Think, Act, Get, and also Superfast Business. So uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, the online business mindset and multimedia marketing across video, blogs, and podcasts. Uh, also, James's view on building a sustainable online business. And so there's a saying that goes around online uh, saying, don't do what they say, do what they do. And so I think you should keep your ears open on this episode on some of the tips James gives when he runs his own business that you can apply uh, to your online store. Because a lot of the stuff he talks about can be applied either offline or online. So uh, before we start in some other news, I'll be in the US in a week or so around February for the Chinese New Year holidays. And the uh, interesting thing is I'll be hosting a small workshop about e-commerce uh, at a local meetup to a group of local small businesses. So we're going to talk about uh, how to start an online store, things you should be aware of, uh, some best practices, common mistakes, and a lot more. So I'm look- really looking forward to it uh, because I don't think there's really anyone that's doing this out there, uh, just kind of doing some education about e-commerce. And uh, where I have a unique perspective on the podcast doing this, I think it'll be really valuable for some business owners. So if you already have a store with some revenues and need someone to help steer you in the right directions to grow the business, uh, you can check out the consulting page at buildmyonlinestore.com and maybe we can work together if it's a good fit. And so this is not designed for someone who's just starting out or thinking about e-commerce. I'm targeting this for people who already have a store and kind of uh, need some steering in the right direction. So uh, what we'll do is we'll find some gaps and opportunities in your business. We'll do a full audit uh, on your marketing plan and current business model, and then we'll set up an action plan to set up better systems and processes so you can scale the business. And so there's more information on the website. Check it out if you think we'd be a good fit. And so let's get into this week's episode. This week I have James Shremko from Superfast Business. Welcome to the show, James. I've been following you for a while now, so naturally I have an idea about your background. I know you used to be a top salesperson in Australia for Mercedes-Benz, and you were also the general manager. Uh, and so, you know, before this is what you were doing before you got to where you are online today. And so, for anyone in the audience who doesn't really know who you are, can you just give us a quick background about Superfast Business and what it is. Superfast Business was founded in around 2005 and I still had a job and the first things that I did was some private workshops to teach people about sales because I was a sales manager and my customers used to ask me to go and teach their team. From there I learned how to build websites and eventually the Superfast Business became an online business and we have two main divisions. One is business services, such as websites and SEO. And the other side is the information and business coaching services. I see. And so so how did you 
decide to start with super fast business because I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this. Like when you were still at Mercedes, how did you decide to do like a sales training course? I sold a lot of cars to this one guy and maybe a dozen cars and he was a financial planner. And he said to me that uh, he liked the way that I sell. It was different to everyone else and obviously it worked for him. And he had financial planners who were salespeople and they weren't very effective at the time. So he asked me to come and run a workshop and teach them what I'm doing. I went to my boss at the dealership and said, listen, this customer's asked me to teach his team. Could I do it on a day off? And he said, sure, but make sure you charge a lot. Reading up about having your own business, I thought it'd be good to have a proper structure and to get official about it. It doesn't really feel professional unless you have some kind of name and you're able to issue an invoice. So I had to issue a tax invoice and had to figure out the name of a business. So I registered a trading name which was called j6 solutions that was the first iteration and i chose solutions rather than consulting or marketing or publishing because i thought that that would be general enough to cover you know whatever my business turned out to be so i registered this business invoiced the customer it was four thousand dollars from memory for a half day training and i bought a laptop with that and from the laptop is where my online endeavor started so, so you went offline to online, and this was how many years ago? It's about 2005. I see. And so super fast business now, you have like the super fast business news, the video that you do, and you also have uh, internet marketing speed, and you also do Freedom Ocean with Timbo, right? So kind of what was the process like to branch into all these different types of media uh, throughout the years? The first one, Internet Marketing Speed, was my blog, and I set that up with an email capture initially somewhere where i would send people to get an email list built and to give them a report then i started posting content to it as a wordpress blog because i wanted to syndicate my affiliate marketing sites and have links pointing to them so i was really only doing it for links so i had a proper full follow setup and i was building up power for this blog and then over time someone actually commented on one of the posts i'm like wow someone actually reads this thing and then years later, I installed a podcasting plugin and retrofitted all of the interviews that I did into the iTunes store as a podcast. So that became an iTunes podcast. It still gets five or 6,000 visits, uh, a unique visits a month. So it's still many years later, a powerful blog. And it ranked for many, many phrases. It was very, very powerful until Penguin. And it was just a little bit heavy on some of the phrases for internet marketing. Freedom Ocean site came about because I appeared on Small Business Big Marketing with Tim Reed. That was the most popular episode and they made a lot of sales of my product that I talked about on that. And so many people came across to my product that Tim approached me and said, would you like to do a podcast? And I thought I would. So it was his idea we sat down and came up with a name and we popped out the first several episodes in one sitting and it got sort of a cult followership at some point. It's a very well revered podcast, especially over this side of the planet. And it's helped so many people. I get a lot of stories from people saying how it's helped them break free with their mindset and encourage them to think about doing something for themselves. That whole concept is freedom that you don't have to work for somebody else. And then Superfast Business was the, the next master blog. And that was really, that was a 2012 push 
it started in the year before that as somewhere where I'd syndicate all my other sites, just like usual. With the changes in the PR web distribution, my merchant facility, my desire to consolidate a lot of my businesses under one channel and and split them by categories, it made sense to have one master site. And I'm continually rolling up my other sites and bringing them over on you know each few months I bring more sites over and bring them under that super fast banner and now I've got one place to really focus on so there's a lot of power in that simple focus and one day I might even roll up internet marketing speed under that one banner as well and I've just started a new podcast today uh, which will be the fourth podcast that I have and that's going to go more into mindset and life success sort of stuff so that's an interesting project with a co-host called think act get and i'm excited about what that one will do but i'm a big fan of podcasting interesting. and i like how super fast business is kind of like it's almost like a holding company in these multinationals and then you have a little bunch of subsidiaries underneath it that kind of run their own thing yeah and the little subsidiaries are standalone silos that could be sold off by themselves and uh, in some cases generate seven figures. Uh, most of them are six-figure businesses and one of them seven. And that's really cool. And I can sort of collect them all under this one umbrella and, and introduce my audience to each part of the business. And they head off and, and find the part of the business that suits them. Yeah, that's a very interesting model because it certainly beats building up a new website, a new product by itself, kind of maybe like individually and doing like, I guess, like the product lunch formula thing where you have to keep building something new and new, whereas kind of you have a consolidated thing that you could just target laser every couple of weeks. If you want to focus on SEO or your, uh, you know, own the race course product, you can just kind of talk about it in each video, right? And kind of bring the spotlight there. Yeah, it's so true. And we do tend to put up a new website each month for a new product like own the race course or traffic grab but what i think we'll do and and it's looking like it will happen is with the conclusion of my affiliate program and and no need to collect individual products on these satellite sites i'll probably roll them up into a page on super fast business and then i'll let people know that they can have this product inside fast web formula so there'll only be two stops it'll be super fast business laser beam directing traffic to fast web formula and i'll skip out that whole intermediate step of a single product yeah i think i think you're kind of right because when i go to your sites i'm kind of lost when i was first starting out i was like what are all these products like there are all these different names and like they're all something to do with speed or like really fast and like i couldn't wrap my head around it until after probably like a month or so i guess so well there's a reason i chose speed because there's that famous triangle that you can have good you can have fast and you can have high quality, uh, sorry, quality is good. So you can have really good, really fast, um, or really cheap. And I wanted to focus on fast instead of cheap. So we do good products quickly and they may not be the cheapest, but they're high quality and you can have them delivered quickly. And that's the positioning I'd rather take in the market. I really have an aversion to the lowest bidder way of doing business and the, the, the free stuff, uh, is great, but it's hard to make a lot of money giving everything away. So I step up from free to high quality, fast delivered products. I see, and all your products tend to have like a noun and an adjective I've noticed, uh, like traffic grab, like own the race course, uh, inbox relief. Like how did you come up with this structure in terms of thinking of product names? Uh, for naming products, I have a lot of domains. I have thousands of domains. So I usually 
go through my list of domains and I find a domain that I think would be a good fit for what it is that I'm trying to do. Traffic grab is great because it says what it is. And same with SEO partner. It's got a keyword like SEO and, and a partner, which implies we'll, we'll partner with you and, and do it all for you. I like action words. So when I'm training the team about a post, I would tell them to add words like ing, you know, like instead of make, it'd be making a successful video. So it's, it's sort of that doing thing, that, that action. And I think a name is important. And I am absolutely certain from looking at my analytics and statistics that people are searching for that brand. And you take an example of Freedom Ocean, that is not a keyword domain that is a brandable and it's a highly recognizable brand that people know what it is when when they're looking for freedom ocean our results will come up tops it's easier for us to own that and i like to think that a lot of my brands really emblazon themselves on my customer's brain instead of some 16 keyword.org or .net it's a short brandable and i have heaps and heaps of two word brandables that's my favorite type of domain you know like financebroker.com or trafficgrab.com or bathtaps.com. I'm really keen on two-word brandables. So you've got a whole list of domains that you've bought years ago and then and then you decide, okay, maybe I'll play with this one, I'll do something on this one, or do you come up with an idea and then you go find the domain? Well, of course, I usually start with a problem that I want to solve and then I'll find a domain that works well with that. So example, this new podcast that I set up called Think, Act, Get, I had that domain for a long time. I really like that whole mindset thing that what you think about determines how you act and how you act determines what you get. So I went and registered Think, Act, Get. So as I'm doing a podcast with my co-host, who's a is a bit of a hippie and uh, spiritual sort of guy and, and alternative lifestyle, I, I wanted something that says what it is and that seemed like the perfect foil for that. When it came to my dashboard, it's called Speed Dash. I wanted something that implies sort of fast and easy to use and it's a dashboard. So I actually bought two domains for that. I bought Simple Dash and Speed Dash and either of those are great brandables. Simple implies that it's not very complicated and that would work well to the fact that there's not that many things to do on it. And Speed Dash is that it's going to save you time. With my domain Silver Circle, that was the rare exception. That one is where I looked at the domain Silver Circle, Silver Circle, and I thought, you know, that would be the perfect domain for a mastermind because a circle sort of implies that togetherness and gathering around, working on something together. And silver's kind of prestigious. I mean, it's not platinum or titanium, fair enough, but it's also not bronze or gold. Silver sounds good and, and it looks good on the logo and it's easy to design with silver and white and black and gray. So I just had this mental image of this is a mastermind domain and Silver Circle has been going for years now and it's well known within my community is that is the place to go when you want to double your business, when you've got a six-figure business and you want it to go to seven, you need to be in Silver Circle. So I think when people talk about my domain names or my brands, they probably have an image of what that would be like. You know, it has a strong sort of compelling reaction and I had a really top designer design the logos for most of my domains as well and I think that's important more so than it was five years ago yeah and it's interesting because you can choose to have keywords in your domain where people know exactly what you're about or you could just build something from the scratch like jamiestramco.com but that would take so much more time 
and you don't get, I guess, like the search juice too. Well, this this whole argument's about building your personal profile versus a business, and that there are great reasons to do both. But it also depends on what your long term play is. If you want to sell it off, it is hard to sell your own name. But if you want to be a high priced authority figure, it's okay to develop your own name. You're the only person that can be you. You'll probably own your own domain name, and as long as you have, you know, as long as you want to be that person for a long time, then you can do that. There are still case studies of where you can sell off your name. There's a famous electronics chain in Australia called Dick Smith Electronics, and he managed to sell off his own company. It was originally a guy called Dick Smith, and he sold it. But it's probably the exception and not the norm. If you want to play both ways, you can build up your personal authority and then lend it to your companies, which is my preferred strategy. I can tip my prestige into Silver Circle or to Superfast Business. And if I wanted to exit those at some point, I really feel that someone could come along and actually buy that from me and inject their own personality, but the company name or the, the brand name would still stand for something. Interesting. And Silver Circle, those two words just go really well versus like Platinum Circle and then it sounds a little... Uh, sounds a little hyphy, I guess. Yeah, and 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 it's not as uh, black and white as people call it. I mean, everyone's got an inner circle or a platinum group, and it's just like just put my fingers in in my mouth and vomit now. And, or there's a twenty five k type group. That's a literal what it is, but that can also restrict you. It's hard to charge more for the twenty five k group when you call it the twenty five k group. At least I have some price elasticity with Silver Circle. So it's general enough to cover future scenarios. And that's something you'll see if you look at most of my domains or my businesses. I try and think think a little bit ahead. I've got great domains though for future products that I've got. For example, the way that I manage my projects, I actually came up with a name Project Stream. It's where you sort of put the project in at one end and like a stream, it flows down in a nice fashion to the other end. And for my... Uh, education portal slash business, which I would like to build one day. I got the domain learn stream and for a different reason, that's about learning and it's streaming. So it's online video, audio. It just implies that you got, it's going to be streamed to you. It's a super fast business. Mainly now is like a news channel, right? You do these little five minute videos every day and they talk about different topics about uh, running an online business. Yeah. I've taken a news approach because People still like to consume news and they'll stay current. And interestingly, with that site, two-thirds of the people on that site are repeat visitors. Even though it's still growing, people have a higher retention. So they get on the email subscription and they stay on the email subscription. And that way, it allows me to deliver value by compiling and curating stuff that's happening out there in the industry and also giving away valuable tips that sort of surface through weekly Silver Circle masterminds or through my internet marketing community. And I'm able to pull out some good points and just share those. And it's okay to use the give and take method where you give something useful and then you take, you ask them if they'd like to subscribe or you might refer them to a site where they can buy something. Not always, but often. And that has worked really well. And I'm using some technology there to make sure that at the end of every video it's asking people to opt in with their email address to join the newsletter and that newsletter is growing steadily you get sort of double digit growth every day uh, not in percentage but in raw numbers 
you know, some somewhere between 20 and 30 emails a day, it grows. And so you also do a syndication process with your videos, right? Can you talk about that briefly? Yeah, well, the core thing is we're building up that YouTube channel, but we don't want to send people to the YouTube channel. We want to send them to our site. So we embed the video on our site with the opt-in facility. And then we'll put that same embed on several sites. But each time we embed it, we'll rewrite the description of the video so that it will be unique. And we'll also share that on my fan page or Facebook page, I think they call them now, which is starting to get some real traction. And of course, we tweet it and Google Plus it, LinkedIn it, Pinterest it, and we email the list about it and do a press release on it. And it goes to iTunes as the audio as well. Yeah, it's an interesting concept because it's kind of like, uh, like I, when I think of syndication, it's like water, how it become like vapor, it could become ice, it could become snow. And you're basically taking the same element and you're just transforming it onto different platforms online now. Yeah, it's repurposing the same piece of content into different formats to reach people where they are. And the interesting experiments are when I ask for feedback, I'll get it from multiple channels if I ask someone to tell me what they think at the end of a video about something, I'll get people hit reply to the emails. I'll have them comment in my forum where I embed the video. I have them comment on YouTube. I have them comment on my blog. They comment on Facebook. They retweet uh, LinkedIn discussions. I haven't seen a whole lot with Pinterest, but the point is you're reaching people where they are. And you're leaving no stone unturned anywhere on the internet really well there's probably a couple of places i'm not reaching but i'm hitting the major ones and i want to be independent of any one platform if i were to build up just my youtube channel and then they change the rules that could really harm me and exactly the same with facebook and this is a common mistake i see a lot of experts only building on youtube or only building on facebook and i think they're insane because one day it's inevitable that the rules will change or it will get sold or there'll be a different monetization thing or they might inadvertently break the rules and lose their account and then it's disaster and you see people complaining about this but it's totally caused by them for being too single source dependent that's why i'd rather build up the asset that i own and control and i put those other ones to work for me and the next stop for me is probably to tap into some form of amazon exposure because that's another place and i'm currently working on a book so i hope to get into real bookstores and into the amazon marketplace to draw people back to my site as well how did you come up with this whole concept of video and the whole syndication thing uh, in 2012 well it's not so much a new thing there's been pioneers like gary vaynerchuk is one of the first people i can remember who was getting out there with videos and then there's other people in the personal development space but i figure that having a systemized way of doing it regularly is what's missing. And I've upped the frequency a fair bit compared to a lot of other people. And I've kept them very short and, and I've tested this. But the short answer is I've been doing it for other people a few years now as private consulting. And I figured that I sh it's about time I should bring this together on my site. And the thing that was stopping me doing it was being a little fragmented trying to put these on 10 different sites gets a little bit complex. That's why bringing it all to one place unlocked it for me. And I did try this a couple of years ago and lost momentum, but now I put more effort into learning the technology and being consistent with my delivery. And I've 
got a completely different lifestyle routine now than I did a few years ago, which makes it very easy for me to come up with ideas and create the content. And I also have the fantastic uh, team now who will take that original seed video and do everything else automatically for me when I put it into Dropbox. And so what equipment did you use when you were starting out? When I first did it, I was just using a flip cam. And the problem with that was there was a lot of wind noise and the sound uh, was not that great. It, so especially when I lived at the beach, it was a lot of like crackling and, and wind blowing over the microphone. So that was kind of frustrating. Then of course the iPhone came out and you can do this with an iPhone. I found the microphone in an iPad mini is far superior. But these days I'm using an SLR camera and a quality microphone. And that's the way to separate yourself from those sort of amateur videos that you see where people are just sitting at their computer. And, it, it, you know, you see this horrible, ugly background office and they're, they're there in their singlet with the headphones making these little amateur videos. It's really not, it's not the level that I want to be at. So I've upped the production values and I'm getting a better type of client for this. Yeah, and I think it reflects back on your business too. If you're just using a laptop one in a dark room, it just looks bad. It's just cheap. And my average customer is spending a couple of thousand dollars over a year. So I want to make sure that they feel confident that this isn't like a two-bit operation. Exactly. And so how did you measure, how do you measure the impact of video on your business? Uh, kind of what tools do you use and kind of what's your process of measuring uh, these news videos? Well, there's some of the, the metrics that you can follow in terms of trending. Some would say they're vanity metrics, but you can watch the views per video to see if anyone's actually watching them. And you can see how long they're engaged on the videos for. You can see how many downloads you get of the audios and you can see how many visits you get to the site and what percentage of them are new or repeat. And you can measure how many opt-ins you get. And what I do is I lead score. So that means when someone buys something from me, I give them points and I allocate a different amount of points depending on what they buy. And I can sort through my email system and pull up the people of the highest points and I can track the source that they came through and I can identify which lead sources are generating me sales. And then, of course, you've got Google Analytics, Google Webmaster Tools, and heat mapping and actual sales in the cart. So my total gross sales is the highest ever, as you know, 2012 was my best year, much more than 2011, which was much more than 2010, and so on and so forth, right back to the beginning. So you can track it in a number of different ways and I get a daily snapshot from my team of all the key things that we want to measure in our business. Uh, one of the ones is how many jobs we have open and how long they take to deliver, how many free uh, website reviews we do from SEO Partner and how many of those convert to sales and what, what the actual dollar amount of sales from that one traffic channel is and then I can tie that back to the source by tracking the conversions in analytics and then I can go back to that source and work out the costs of Facebook advertising. Uh, I can put a value on, on my time and how long it takes to make the videos versus other things that we can do and then I've got variable costs like press releases where the more we do the more it costs and then I've got fixed costs like staff wages so I can allocate X number of people to the marketing team who are responsible for syndicating those 
videos and publishing them into audio format and making custom pictures, etc. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so you touched upon something called uh, lead scoring. Can you just go into more detail because that probably went over some listeners' heads? It's simply just working out when someone buys something, you allocate them points and then you can look through your system to see who has the most points and they will be your best customers. So you can segment your list by the people who have the most points and you can even create a group from those people. So I could call it super VIPs, anyone who has 50 or more points might be a super VIP and I want to make sure that I'm in personal communication with them because those people are the small number of people who are responsible for the majority of my income. That makes a ton of sense, but I guess not many people are doing it, right? I'd say hardly anyone does it. And I got this from Mercedes-Benz. I used to do database mining of the dealership customer base and I'd run reports to find the AMG buyers and people who spent more than $200,000 on a vehicle who have purchased within the last 18 months. And then I would invite those people to a special customer appreciation event, which might cost a little per head, but these are the people who are spending the money and are the most likely referrers and ready to renew their vehicles. So I learned a lot about data segmentation and, and customer relationship management through the offline world and it makes sense to do it when we have all the tools available to us it's a it's able to be done in pretty much all the shopping carts or email systems but unless you're aware of to do it i guess people wouldn't be doing it in fact a lot of people aren't doing many of the basics hardly anyone even looks at their analytics these days if we go into a little bit about deeper how mercedes-benz did it did they just do it by like car segments who got what upgrades or what was kind of like the general breakdown of how they did it there's many, many ways you can segment your database. They actually label every model uh, to the type of buyer demographic or psychographic. Someone who buys uh, an SL is a hedonist and they will tailor all of their marketing campaigns to each of the different models. But the same thing can be applied to to any business. My 15-year-old daughter knows this stuff. She has a horse that she leases and she identifies the attributes of the horse and then she profiles the perfect customer for that. So she's got a horse that is perfect for dressage but not for jumping. So she would aim that at someone who likes to do dressage and then she would niche that advertisement for that perfect avatar of a customer and she'll get the highest lease rate for that horse that she'll release. You know, so my kids know this and most adults that I'm dealing with haven't got a clue. Mm-hmm. So, so I assume you've taken this approach to all of your products and you have a profile for each person that buys kind of each product you have or service offered, right? I have a really good understanding of my customer because I'm so easily accessible and I do things like invite people to reply to my emails and I ask their opinion on blog posts and I also man two communities one where there's over 500 members and there's one where there's around about 35 members and i post daily to them so i'm very very familiar with my target customers and i also scan my help desk tickets so that i can see what people are asking and how we answer and a lot of my videos will actually be a triggered response to something that somebody's asked so i'm leveraging the answer across the entire prospect base mm-hmm. and so how do you process the feedback you get from all these different people in different channels i think it just accumulates in my brain as a uh, an awareness mm-hmm. and yes you look for patterns after that to kind of categorize them and then you figure out 
what everyone has problems with and you take it from there. Yeah, and sometimes it's okay to ask as well to start a thread on what would people like to change. There's a, there's this great thing we use in our team and it also works with customers. It's what should we stop doing, what should we start doing, and what should we not change at all. And it's a nice little stop-start stay sort of technique and that helps us innovate our business but it also helps customers with product development because i guess this is something most business owners miss like they ask for feedback but they don't really maybe they don't really work with it or they don't ask for it often enough. well we do other things like log into youtube pull up the analytics and my team makes a note of things that people re-watch and where they drop off the videos and we class- classify it as likes and dislikes so i've learned what people are not interested in and I've learned what they're really interested in by watching our heat mapping of the videos. And also you can pay attention to forum threads and see which ones do people really highly engage with and which ones fall off the first page quickly and have hardly any responses. So you can reverse filter. You actually can sort by comments in a thread and then you can reverse that into who didn't comment and go and have a look at the titles and you can guess that those titles are not really of broad appeal and the ones that are hotly debated and highly flamed are the ones that you should be focusing around because that's obviously, a, you know, it's a live survey. It's one where you don't have to ask, you just have to observe. And there's enough things you can observe without even having to ask a customer that would get you by if you're paying attention. And I understand you also have your content split between Wistia and YouTube, right? What's the general breakdown of using those two different channels? Well, Wistia is the best player it's the best hosted video encoding player uh, system in the world it's amazing i love it and i put my paid content on wistia and i put my free content on youtube that would be the breakdown the reason i want to use youtube for my public content is that i'm getting about 10 percent referral views above and beyond the standard embeds and also i'm getting search engine rankings for the videos and YouTube rankings for the videos. So they sort of help me find customers because they show up as related views. And that's the most difficult part to ignore. But for everything else, Wistia is amazing. They have fantastic players, incredible analytics. The videos look good and they play well. And it's easy to operate their system. And it works on any device. And so I understand podcasting channels like iTunes and YouTube, now they have this keyword section. So how does that how should one actually approach uh, putting the keywords in videos and all their content? Well, with videos, it's important to have a title that is compelling. And just by adding how to, it should dramatically increase your results. And when you tag the video, you put lots of tags that are descriptive of the video itself without being spammy or overdoing it. But really treat it like a dyno machine, like where you punch in those little labels, a label maker. Pretend you've got a label maker and you're allowed to punch out a few labels that you would stick on this video and ex- to explain to someone who couldn't see it what it would be about. That helps YouTube determine what that thing actually is. And then use the description and make sure you have a full HTTP hyperlink linking to where you want to send people. In our case, we link back to each post so that we end up with nice link variety. Our blog is linked to from lots of different places and it's a lot of pages on our site are linked to individually rather than all to the home page which is a very common error keep it relevant mm-hmm. interesting all right and so what's the general process that you go through in creating a, like a short five minute video like say you have an idea how do you like script 
actually what you're going to talk about how it's in a structure well i don't use a teleprompter and i don't type the whole thing out word for word that's a common question i just pull out a a cardboard whiteboard so it's quite big but it's light and i get a, a marker pen and i just write out about five or six bullet points and then i'll use that as my prompt I'll put it near the camera and I'll just look at the board if I want to remember what I'm talking about and then I'll see a point and then from there I can just deliver what I want to say and then I pause and then I look down for the next one and then I'll deliver that and then I'll just edit out the lookaways in the production mode. Oh, I see. All right. And I guess you can tweak with that when you like zoom in a little bit when you're cutting between scenes. It kind of like uh, brings the, keeps the audience on focus too, right? Yeah, you can jump cut or move yourself from, from left to right or, or um, do some basic editing. I'm not a Spielberg or anything, <laughs> certainly no Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> but I think if you do it from far enough back, you can actually do that zoom in and zoom out all in ScreenFlow, which is what I use to edit, do very basic editing and, and extremely simple transitions. People don't want fancy transitions they just want the good content and they want to be engaged so for that reason i quite often use different backgrounds when i'm filming yeah and it's interesting because you have some video bloggers who kind of use a fixed camera but they cut themselves where they go like ums and ahs and they end up kind of skipping around on the screen whereas if you zoom in and zoom out it looks more natural i guess yeah and i i can do entire videos without any cuts these days just because i'm getting more practice i've nearly loaded 200 to youtube at this point so i'm starting to get into a routine and so when you first started out were you worried that your videos are terrible and you know how did you get over that mindset uh, hurdle yeah that would have been a long time ago when, when i was in the car dealership we used to do video role plays all the time like every day i used to have my sales team and i'd video them selling and then play it back to them every day. And no one does that. I've never heard of another dealership doing that. So we got over stage fright well and truly. And even before that, I'm talking about 20 years ago, when I was starting my career, I did an acting class. So I got over my nerves then, and it really helped me run large meetings and speak in front of huge crowds and be on camera. And I don't get stage fright, I don't have nerves. So it hasn't been an issue for me, but I can imagine it would be for a lot of other people. I'm kind of okay with that because it gives me a little bit of a um, advantage. If I can be out there with videos and other people are too scared, it's their bad luck, I guess. Yeah, you get to capitalize on their fears too. Yeah, I think the technique for most people is going to be to video themselves and play it back and watch it and just get comfortable with it. We don't sound the way we think we sound. We don't look the way we think we look. When I look at myself back on camera, I look way bolder and way fatter and way uglier than I, than I would like to think. And, and, but after a point, I think, well, you know what? I'm not getting all these trolls and haters saying how fat and bald I am all the time. And maybe they don't care. Maybe they're just interested in the content. And maybe they just like the fact that I'm out there doing something worthwhile. And that's how I've justified it, I guess. I don't really care that much what they think as long as they get value. Yeah, and in the end, you know, if they don't want to watch it, they can go away, right? I mean, everyone has their freedom of choice on what they want to consume. Really, you, you do, you want people to watch the videos, so it's hard for them to watch a video unless you make one. 
wouldn't it be great if you could have a hundred thousand views or a million views for the video? You know, if it wasn't just you tripping over or doing something stupid, it's easy to get a lot of traffic, but it's hard to convert. So you'll find some of these highly targeted content videos are not going to have as many views, but the ones that do view it are the fans and they're the ones who buy. And so do you still see video marketing being like a very long-term thing or is it maybe like just like a trend that'll last a few years in your view? I think it's a very long-term thing. Yeah, it's interesting because I guess when the internet first came around, you had blogs and people were kind of anonymous. And now you see it's really... Um, you really have to put yourself out there now, kind of like being, be real, right? People are sick of the hype and sick of the crap, especially in the US market who have been so slow to cotton onto this. I mean, they still need books now to tell them that you don't have a choice not to manipulate your audience, that you have to be authentic. Whereas in other cultures, especially Australia, we haven't put up with all that hypey bullshit for decades. We just do not tolerate cheese ball sales. I think that the American culture is starting to crave integrity and, and genuine educational selling and where you actually give a little bit of value rather than just take, take, take and uh, slam bam with 27, 27 tricky closes. That sort of sales technique is, is getting out of date. So the more people are prepared to be genuine and get out there and put themselves on camera, the, the more trust you build. If people can see you and trust you, then that is one of the biggest barriers you can overcome online. The online purchasing is about trust and knowing that you've, you're dealing with someone who you can actually believe you'll get a result from. So videos are a fantastic way to do that. And I think one of the other big changes is that it was traditionally more difficult to put videos up there when text was a heavy sort of heavily used medium because it was just technically difficult to put videos on the website and it was hard for people to watch them with their connection speeds. Now it's much easier for anyone, like they can open up a YouTube account and start loading their iPhone pictures up straight away and be making videos and they can then embed that anywhere. Most people, most places, even like Facebook will receive an embed code uh, or just the URL of YouTube and it will play. So the fact that it's so easy to do and the fact that people are watching more and more video content uh, is why I'm putting my efforts there. And it also is a barrier to entry for nervous people and for people who want to be uh, not so genuine. Yeah, and I see that kind of with podcasting too. After you have like say 50 or 200 videos, there's a lot more clout than someone just starting out. And I think that becomes like a barrier to entry too. Yeah, there's that period when you start producing it. I, I did this with my blog, I've done it with my podcast, and now I'm doing it with my video channel, where in the beginning you just feel a little bit tentative that you know you don't have enough out there, you don't have enough views, you don't have enough audience. I even had some guy come along to my blog and say, you, you don't even get any comments, how could you be teaching people about marketing? I'm thinking, well... <laughs> several million dollars a year worth of marketing proof if you really need to see it. But aside from that, there is that little period in the beginning where you feel, I wouldn't say imposter, but you do feel a little bit extra sensitive that you've got to run the gambit. You have to crawl over that broken glass. To get to a couple of hundred thousand views or a few million views, you have to put out the original content. And at some point, you're not going to have a lot of traction unless you're lucky enough to jag a Gangnam style video <laughs> you're going to be like everyone else where you feel like you're just whistling to yourself and nothing's happening 
Yeah, that's the feeling I'm kind of like, because I'm at about thirty episodes, and then like, like I'm getting some traction, but it's just like it's just a constant push. Yeah, Do yeah. you notice your podcast downloads are going up? Yeah, so it probably doubles every month or so. So my first month was three hundred. Now it's like at probably like ten thousand a month now. So I've been doing it for maybe six months. Well, you're doing something really clever. Is you just start interviewing people who will post it on their site and tell people about it whenever i do a podcast with someone else on their show and they send me a link i put it on my media page so super fast business gets more than a thousand downloads every day for the podcast and average videos are viewed around, around i think 500 views a day at the moment and that's just sort of the snowball effect starting so eventually you'll get more reach and the customers will find you because of the people you're interviewing and and just it does grow at least it's going up and not down yeah and i think in the long term you know if you're in the sense for the long term like you know kind of your mindset really what is six months right if you're building something that'll last you know five ten years plus you want to put your whole life on this business well something really important with podcasts is the more famous you get then the more people will download your back episodes and it sort of makes you more famous which helps more people download your back episodes so we get an incredible amount of people from freedom ocean saying they've just found out about it and they're making their way through the whole back catalog and we only have i think 50 50 or 51 episodes at this point but every time someone goes and downloads another 50 episodes then that really does start to lift it up again and it it popped up to number one the other day briefly when i released a couple of episodes in the same week so it's right there simmering away and that has a good steady customer list and a rabid fan base who'd start demanding episodes when we don't release them for too long like where's our next freedom ocean episode so you do build up a fan base and the most important thing is that these rich medium types like podcasts and videos will deliver you your high paying customers yeah it's interesting i found you guys in freedom ocean probably around episode 35 and it's interesting to see when you go through the backlog the first time like how kind of Timbo was kind of like not really sure about things at first. And as you progress, you know, he learns all this stuff from you. And then now he's just killing it online. Well, now it's created a character problem because he knows so much about internet marketing that he, he doesn't like to play the role of the guy asking questions. So it's a funny scenario we've ended up. And half of it was him just being curious. And now he really does know a lot. He's redesigning his small business, big marketing site. And he's got a lot of ideas about how to approach that from many of the things we've discussed and i'm helping him tune that up at the moment but it's a funny thing and now i just got to knuckle timbo down and get some more episodes out of him but at least i've got another podcast to keep me busy and i really like the co-host scenario that's why i've chosen another co-host podcast because with internet marketing speed being my interview one and super fast business being a dialogue it's really just me uh, commenting so i like the co-host format and i think it's more interesting for listeners would you advise people to do two mediums like do like a video news channel and have like an interview podcast would it make sense to kind of take like a dual media approach interview oh, i i wouldn't go so far as that i, I don't, i'd need to know about the person i want to know what their skills are and their audience and their business and they, do they lend themselves to video when you start talking about video, it's more effort. If you're a girl, they're going to fuss about makeup and what to wear more, potentially. I'm not meaning to be sexist here, but most of the women who I work with are really caring about that sort of stuff. They they wouldn't like 
They wouldn't do what I do, which is wake up, have a shower, um, stick on a T-shirt and then walk outside and make a video. I'm not so worried about whether, you know, I don't put on makeup, but a lot of guys do use makeup and probably should. I probably should be using makeup to stop the the light bouncing and stuff. But I don't have, you know, I've got very short hair, so that's not an issue. So I have less preparation required than your average business professional who's going to be pretty fussy about how they look. So your uh, production values are important. It, it's it's a bigger effort. And I know these pro video guys, they've got whole teams. So they set up the studio, they got all the lighting and the sound and the makeup and the, the scripts and the teleprompters and they, they really do pro it out and they spend a whole day or two in the, the, the lab filming this stuff and then the professional production crews edit it and all that. So I'm doing it kind of ghetto-like but with reasonably good gear. So I'm only limited by the amount of effort I want to put into it, not by my camera or my microphone anymore. And I'm still working on that, on how to position it. But I think for most people, the easiest way forward is a podcast because anyone can sit down and talk into a microphone. And there was a great episode on Jake Howard's show. Here's the multimedia uh, podcast. And he interviewed Dan Norris, uh, Dan Andrews and me. And we had a bit of a knockout round about blogging text versus audio versus video and the whole point is like you do any of that you're still going well and for most people if you were to be able to blog then why not just read that out and make an audio of it as well stick it into your blueberry plugin and you've got a nice little podcast so that's how internet marketing speed started and that is a good podcast my average episode on that's getting about 5,000 downloads now yeah, and so, so audio and blogs still have their place in the future, right? And would you rank that under video? I don't know if I'd rank it under it because th- there's a lot of reasons to do either of them. The thing about audio is you can do it in your car. You can do it when you're walking a dog or on public transport. It's a little bit harder to watch a video while you're driving or walking. So I think it's more accessible. I, wa- I mean, I actually listen to podcasts while I'm answering forum posts, but it's harder to pay attention to a video. So I think, especially for your auditory uh, audience or your mobile audience, everyone has a smart device. It's easy to listen to audio. So I think it's a great medium for reach. It's easier to create and less expensive than text or video to produce. So I think it's probably, if I could only have one, I would just go for a simple podcast format with show notes. And one thing that's kind of hard about podcasting is that in terms of audio, getting people to go back to your website and to do something, do you find that to be harder than, say, video where they're actually seeing it on your site? No, I, th- I think depends. I don't treat podcasts as a product. I treat them as a traffic. So for me, it's different. I've got so many things that I sell that people can find eventually, and I'm not in a hurry then it's okay. If you trigger natural curiosity, if you're relevant and people are interested, then they'll go and find it. I think I've probably mentioned half a dozen of my websites already on this call and uh, supposing you don't bleep them out, curiosity might drive them to go and have a look at it and they might type it in or whatever. Or they might make a note that they should come back to this podcast and then if they want to find out what I'm doing, they might look me up. They might Google my name or something and then they'll see the site and it's been mentioned and then they see it and it starts to sort of lodge in their brain. And then at some point they'll just associate that site with me and 
then they might hear me on another podcast like six months later and just that repeated exposure that's what we're really trying to do is to get out there and be meaningful for somebody so I don't think that's an issue what you have to weigh that up against is how many podcasts can you put out versus videos and I've found even when I offer people audio and video I'm still getting more downloads of the audio than I get for the video watches yeah, that's, that's what I do. Sometimes I listen to super fast business on audio just because I'm in a rush. But you know, if I have a time off later in the evening, I'll just watch the video on my desktop, depending on where I'm at. So. Yeah, I, I know that people are consuming it on audio. And I think part of it is they probably have a, they've probably subscribed to it in their iTunes podcatcher or whatever they have. And they know they're only up for a three to five minute audio. It's not an onerous assault on their time it's just a short grab and there might be something useful in there for them and it's nice that sometimes you can just wait like a week and then it sinks in your itunes and you just listen to it all at once too or whatever it's very low friction that's it i i know when i do my weekly digest and i go and look at the posts then when i'm checking the links there's a lot more comments than the day after i put the video out so, uh, i've heard it from like a dozen people now that they have lots of my videos in their inbox they won't delete it. They do plan to watch it, but they save them up and they hit them all at once. Yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon. <laughs> well, I want to create emails or content good enough that they don't want to throw away. That is the point. That's really what I'm trying to do. They're not paying for this, but it's it's not so useless that they just want to delete it. I get very few unsubscribes on my list. Most people, if they don't want it daily, they just switch across to the weekly digest and then they get a list of me, from me linking to everything that I did that week. Yeah, it's interesting that you take this one because I see a lot of US people that I used to subscribe to, they still do like the kind of like the long email, like kind of semi-pitchy thing. And you're just like, oh, I'm, my inbox is full of these. I'm just going to unsubscribe. And so you should because they send crap. Yeah, exactly. I, I've t- took that lesson like a couple of months ago. I only subscribed to probably like under five people right now. Well, I, feel, I feel privileged if one of them is me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you are there. Well, you're in my iTunes too, and so <laughs> it's a good thing. Well, hopefully the new one will be compelling enough to uh, engage you as well. Yeah, definitely. And so where can we find you online uh, after this call? I would start with superfastbusiness.com, and that will expose you to all the other things in good time. As, as the videos or the pod tunes come through, each one will will sort of cover a different thing. After a week or two, you'll have seen most of it. That's the best place to start. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for wishing. Thanks, Terry. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast.